Don't touch it, all right? All right. That's what she said. Oh, man. It's good to be back. Are we adjusted? Testing, testing. All right. All right. All right. I know. I know. Okay. All right. Testing. Hi. Hi. And we're back. Were you going to give me an outline today? It's there. Oh, I'm holding it. <laughs> Shit. Who needs an outline? Sorry. All right. And we're back. Welcome. And we're back. Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm a well-rested Mike. <laughs> and today on RMA, Nat reads the book everyone is screaming about. The guys limp through three snowstorms, Valentine's Day, and returning after our first dark week. Uh, and boy, do we have a show for you. Boy, do we have a show for you. A, uh, a limp... A limp Valentine's Day? Is that what we're talking about? I said about? we've limped through. <laughs> oh, so okay. I wanted to sort of paint the picture of us sort of trudging through these last couple of weeks, which has been like quicksand for it, me. It has been a difficult couple of weeks. Soul destroying. Taking last week off, I thought was going to be better, but I actually found myself a bit out of sorts from not having this to do. I completely agree. Even though there was physically, there was no way for us to do it schedule-wise, but here we go. Well, are. here's the thing, guys, and thank oh, you so much right, for sticking yeah. with us. And there was um, a blizzard, but that's... We're, we're not done talking about all right, the blizzards. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, we are jumping ahead, but... No, I'm jumping ahead. You are staying on topic, and I'm jumping ahead. I like the sound of that. I'm sorry. Will get you I'm, just, I'm being a dick today. <laughs> I don't know why. It's Mike's having a rough morning, like... The, and I've had a few rough mornings, and let me just say... <laughs> Rough mornings. Yeah. yeah. Hear it for rough mornings. Yes. <laughs> rough mornings. But listen, we want to do this show every week. And I think after that week off, um, I hear a lot of podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> um, I'm trying not to touch the mic. Uh, a lot of podcasts <laughs> that I listen to, the professional professional ones do things, they call it a dark week. And it's sort of industry lingo for you don't do anything that week. Right. Um and I believe in it, but my real uh, radio heroes like George Norrie and Art Bell mm-hmm. of Coast to Coast AM and, um, and those guys and Dopey, uh, it's all about every week being consistent. And that's how I think we envision this. Right. We were like, look, you know, we're not going to get a million listeners day one. Uh, it's going to be at least two weeks. Or, or, or day 700, <laughs> apparently. <Right. laughs> uh, we're closing in on 10,000, yeah. so I'm, I'm feeling good about it, but... Uh, so I guess I'm more of the mindset now that every, you know, we got to be consistent. I think it's a good idea to schedule maybe some dark weeks where we are forced to mm. just take a step back because mm-hmm. um, I was feeling a little stretched thin, you know. So this will be a good be a good test to see how we respond. How do we bounce back? Does our audience stay with us? Yes, is, um, such as they are. But it is the, growing. Uh, the, yeah, I mean... If we had our shit together a little bit more, we could we could maybe record extra episodes and have them lying in wait for the time when a lot of one of us goes away or does something like that. Because although you know it's not, we won't be right on top of the day's well, events. That's the thing. But uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, you guys don't need to know how the sausage is made. Right, but we, we had a great response from uh, Aaron Moore's uh, appearance last week. We yes, are that was in great. The, we are working on her next segment. Uh, we're going to try and do that, I don't know, every fifth episode or something. We're trying to figure out yeah. how we want to do it. That one might be about body snatching body or snatching. something, whatever that means. That could be in the weak and weird section yeah. of the show. Um, but, you know, talking about our listeners, and thank you guys so much for staying with us, mm. we got a great review, which we promised we would read. So, 
Oh, right. So I'm going to read it now. From Uh, Apple Podcasts. From Apple Podcasts. Uh, The title is Recovery on the Road. It is a five-star review. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, So here we go. Uh, Stumbled across this podcast and gave it a listen. Glad that I did. I recently have been commuting for work an hour one way. I feel you, man. I used to do that. Uh, And these podcasts have been the perfect thing for me. It's a refreshing take on recovery. Have made me feel okay in knowing that recovery doesn't come in a one-size-all type of pattern. Love the podcast. And that is from our good friend, SK873. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, it always amazes me when, you know, our purpose for doing this kind of lands properly on yes. someone. Yeah. <laughs> like like a house like on a the Witch of, of Wick, Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> yeah. That's we're just landing on you. So thank you so much for that review, everybody. Come on, give us more. It really helps us get new listeners because the algorithm on... Uh, Google or, or, or podcast uh, on Apple, it's all to take those things into consideration. Yes. How many reviews you have. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we even got a question for Sergeant Slaughter. We did. Uh, we just got it. And Have um, you been able to track him down or is he still MIA? Sergeant, he's not MIA. I just haven't spoken. We, we'll go okay. through like, we'll talk like every couple of days for a while and then I don't hear from him for a while and then okay. he just shows up. It's or, a good question. Yeah. Um, so we have that question and um, I am working on getting uh, Sergeant Slaughter to weigh in. So we are looking forward to that. Um, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Uh, tell us your story. We, we got a tell us your story also. Um, we did, right? We did. Uh, maybe we read that after uh, the main topic. Um, from Jeff, number one fan. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the story? Jeff in Tacoma? Yeah, I think so. No. I'm screwing up Jeff's again. Um, well, we have Merchandise Jeff. Right. We have AA Jeff. AA Jeff. Right. And we have Tacoma Jeff. Oh, Tacoma Jeff is different from <laughs> yes. printing shirt Jeff? Yes. What? So you printed out Tacoma Jeff's thing, but it's actually yeah. uh, Merch Jeff's. Guys, you see how this screws <laughs> us up when you all have the same name? Yeah, when could, you one of you guys change your name, please? We only have three listeners and they all are called Jeff. <laughs> But and to get like really meta on the whole thing, right. uh, to co- I, we we offered Tacoma Jeff a free T-shirt, and um, which I don't know if you were thinking that was merchandise Jeff asking for a free T-shirt, which didn't which make he would sense. be printing himself. That's what I thought. I'm like, why does Jeff need to add, like? Okay, so every Jeff gets a T-shirt. All right, let's just do that. And th- thank you guys. No, we appreciate it. And, merch- and to- merchandise Jeff, I have a message for you. I am going to order that stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Tacoma Jeff, don't expect, yeah. don't be waiting by the mailbox no. anytime soon. It'll be a few weeks. Yeah, no, I had to, I had some uh, financial delays, you could say, um, but we are in good cash, shape. Cash now. flow issues, cash as, flow as issues. we call them. Uh, my, my accountant says I'm not liquid or I'm not wet, liquidy or something. <laughs> Your accountant tells you you're not wet. I mean, I'm not liquid. Maybe, Maybe you should try giving him more money. I'm not flowing or something. Um, what Woody Allen movie was that? Oh, Deconstructing Harry. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, big Woody Allen fan. Uh, so we're back in the New York groove. Happy comeback. <laughs> we uh, we are really excited. And I just wanted to say that I was thinking this morning about this podcast and. Just thinking back, because I feel like I've been so in it, you know, so this gave us a chance to sit back and look at, like, what have we done? Like, what what, what have, have we, we done? done? You know, what, you know, evil hath God wrought up upon us? And um, it's really cool. And it made me remember that when I was a kid, I used to pretend I had this little device that had a microphone on it and a tape recorder. 
And what you did was you could make your own DJ tapes. And oh, I'm not talking like, cool. oh, 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 it's right. like not one of those. It's like, hey, welcome back to right. 92.3. Yeah. Or a little echo on that. Or, um, you know, buenos dias, la Nuevo Omega y Ricky Martin. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, good. That's good. You know, the Nuevo Omega. So I used to pretend, and I wish I could find those tapes where I'm like, hi, you know, this is Nat here, and here's the next song. And then I would take stop the tape, play yeah. another song, right. record it. And then play it for my family. This is <laughs> this is one step above that. It, it really is. It really is. Anyway, not a, so, not a long step, but it's we're there. Yeah. So I'm very happy to be doing this, and this is my outlet. Um, I am gonna do more meetings, and when I say more, I mean any. What do you if mean it, more meetings? Like like I, I AA meetings? Get, yes. Oh. I mean, I know, like, I loved the AA meetings. I'm starting to miss my time at AA. Well, go. There's um, plenty of AA meetings. Are there any AA meetings, well, that's actually? The thing. <laughs> my local meetings, oh, um, from what I know, because John the Can Man stopped in. Was that uh, him before? Yeah, that was yeah. I haven't talked about John the Can Man in a while. No. So I've been trying to work with him and help him to find a place to live that he can afford for like six months since he got thrown out of his. Um, he was in a trailer that was illegal, apparently. Right. So they, the town finally came and got rid of him. And, uh, and he's been sleeping on the streets ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of it, he's like 64 years old, and his family's disowned him, if you don't remember. Uh, John came in. He's a local guy in town. He comes into my store and talks Mets with me. But I got to know him in, re- in rehab um, uh, around the corner from here. So... Um, so I'm invested in his story. I'm invested in who he is. I, he's a really good person. He's been clean nine years and, um, good for him. You know, uh, he's just, uh, I'm just trying, I'm looking out for him. I just, there's nobody looking out for him. Um, but I got him connected with uh, youth and family counseling, uh, who he was already connected with, but refused to tell them he was homeless because he didn't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And it was like, buddy, these people, that's their job. That's what they do. Right. And so it took him a while to get over that. And cause he can live on the street and he's, he thinks he's fine or maybe he is fine. I mean, he's been doing it and, uh, it's like part of his plan, which was crazy for me. Cause I, I talked to him about, um, just what we're both doing and what he's planning to do. And when I say like, where are you going to rest your feet? Put your head at night, man. You can't, you get, and he's just like, oh no, it's fine. The weather's changing. I'm going to be outside. I know where to stay. And mm. you know, he's, so he can survive and he's still smile. He's not in like a horrible mood all the time or anything. In any case, so finally he got an apartment, um, and the youth and family is going to help with his first couple months rent. Great. Uh, yeah. This is here in town, right in town, uh, on the way to the train, mm-hmm. you make a, Left at Command Royal, that like back road. Oh yes. Yeah, and so he's renting a room there. But right. like, you know, uh, I just made me very. I was just very happy for him, and I told him, you know, because I'm on the the deacons uh, committee at the church, and we help people like that all the time. Like, and I was telling him, I'm like, just tell me what what it is. Like we like maybe we can do a month's rent, but we can only do like one. Yeah. And. Uh, but he got it through youth and family, which is great. For how many uh, months? Uh, I don't know how many months. Mm. I don't think he signed a lease yet. Okay. But I think he, he gets a year. I think he said it was going to be a year lease. Mm. Uh, but in any case, that getting Well, I'm into, glad to hear he landed on his feet, sort of. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and he's just starting to have all these problems with his legs because he walks 20 miles a day. He and does, yeah. His uh, calves are swollen. That's why he was just showing me his new med- medications. Like, <laughs> I got this new water pill. And I'm like, that's great, man. Shit. Um, I saw him the other day in a, a much larger bag of cans than I had seen him with yeah, in he a while. About, so he told me he clears about twenty bucks on one of those. Uh, if you, that whole cart that you yeah, see him with, yeah, yeah, he gets about twenty something bucks for that. Yeah, 
Jeez. On top of social security. I mean, if I'm 60 something years old, the last thing I want to be doing is humping cans around town, but well, I think it, that's the first thing he wants to do. He, he, right. he works as a landscaper making like landscaping money, you know, yeah, when there's no snow on the ground, but <laughs> he does that plus the cans plus social security. Right. So He's a hustler. He should be able to afford a place, but you need some assistance around here because it's so expensive. But um, ex, anyway, ex crackheads are excellent hustlers. I'm very happy for John to come in, and I think our listeners will be too. Um, yeah, so we had Valentine's Day. We did. Uh, I don't remember what happened. It was so long ago. <laughs> but uh, how was your Valentine's Day? It was good. We went out to the fancy restaurant in town. Um, oh, with the uh, recovering um, guy as a. The chef? Yeah, very interesting. This guy who is a, uh, I mean, I assume I'll, I'll drop his name at some point and then you'll all figure out where we live because he's an, uh, he was an iron chef uh, who won and had a couple restaurants in Manhattan and then for reasons unknown to me decided that some town that we live in is, uh, was the place for him to set up his next restaurant. Yeah. And, um, which is weird on a number of levels. One, I mean, our little hamlet is not really known for its culinary uh, escapades. Starting to be because of them. Uh, yeah. And um, two, like from Manhattan to here, like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway, uh, but apparently this guy had, uh, he, he's in recovery and has been since he was 21 years old. Oh, yeah. And um, ex-heroin uh, addict. and I never uh, ran into him at the meetings locally. Well, now... He has an autobiography out, which I would like to read and discuss. It's got to have an audio book. If and <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I think it might. Um, and I would like to have him on, but that would kind of torpedo our anonymity in terms of geography. So we're going to have to talk about that. Anyway, I found it interesting because his restaurant ha- has, um, it has like um, Oktoberfest parties and pig roasts and all this stuff involving copious amounts of alcohol. And when the pandemic came out, came along, he was, his was the first restaurant to offer the, um, slushy margaritas in a bag that you serve out through the window. And, but on the flip side, he doesn't allow any alcohol in his kitchen for with his cooks or anything. And he's very, um, you know, tight with all that stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, and I would really like for him to sit down and talk to us about what it's like to be in that business, the restaurant business. We could get him on as an anonymous. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, I mean, um, the question is, would he do it as anonymous, right? Um, And have to like basically um, plan all of these boozy events, your cocktail menu, your all this stuff, like as somebody that doesn't touch any of that stuff. I mean, that must be a really interesting perspective that he has watching like his you know, the, his customers get shit-faced all the time coming in there. Yeah, and um, the famous book that sort of brought the the chef addiction stories into the forefront was um, Anthony Bourdain's... Absolutely. Uh, Amer- Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen Confidential was a groundbreaking, like, here's what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we all knew that chefs were drunks, but we had no idea with the drugs and the partying right. and, you know, the culture that is so poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it ultimately killed Anthony Bourdain. Well, um, in the yeah, I mean, Tony was sober from opiates for quite a while, but he was still, you know, drinking here and there. And who knows? He also suffered from major depression. That's just the stuff you know? they showed on the television show. Right. Think about that. Yeah, that's it's like true. You see one rat in the New York City subway. There's a million. Well, it's funny because the uh, anniversary of his death was coming up, and I, I stumbled across an interview with one of his personal assistants, who is all is now. Sober, mm. uh, Ooh, quit 
quit alcohol, quit everything. That's uh, a book we should do. A Kitchen Con- Confidential. I've never read it. Yeah, it's a and good, I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain. You've never fan. read that book. You really no. have to read that book. Okay. It's it's something. I'll I get mean, the audio book. <laughs> but anyway, so I'd like to have this guy on at some point. So I don't you know, ate I don't know there? How to though. I, we ate there. The food was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's not cheap, you know, but no. um, but it's it's a really it's what we consider oat cuisine. Yes, which means high en français. Yeah. It was, uh, it was très cher. Très cher. Yeah. But uh, good time, uh, you know. Good time was had by all. Yeah. We had a good yeah. time. We went to the other. Where'd you guys go? The other fancy restaurant. Oh, that's guy. right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got like four tables and then the, right. the chefs are like, it's, it's a really nice Italian place. I had no idea how expensive it was though, but it was <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Imagine how expensive it would be if you were drinking. And that's the crazy because my <laughs> wife had a glass of wine. I ordered a right. bottle of Pellegrino, but it was this fancy Pellegrino. It wasn't Pellegrino. It was some other off Italian brand. Like, looks like it was shipped in a wooden crate with hay from Rome, you know? It's <laughs> Nellogrino. Something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had a great, you know, my wife and I have not uh, had, uh, like most parents, uh, we haven't had a lot of time to be together and mm. go out. And it's just been, especially with the pandemic. We're all home. We're all losing all our time. fucking <laughs> mind. Uh, but um, it was really nice. And we had a nice, it's like we had an adult conversation. Yes, that's always pleasant. And it's a f- one of the first times we've been out since the pandemic has happened, just the two of us, maybe the only, hmm. you know. And it was really nice to just sit back and to look at, you know, what we've accomplished, what we've got, because we've been through a lot together. Right. Um, and um, it's just nice to, to sit back from the top, the, the top of the hill and say, we made it through that right. and it was worth it. And we're better people for doing it. And, um, you know, look, we have a lot of work to do, the two of us, but um, we want to do it, you know, get back into, you know, maybe doing some therapy. I would love to go back to therapy. Mm. Um, I've been talking about that lately. Actually, I was just talking to Jed from Church and Other Drugs because uh, he just did a show where he he came out to tell uh, everyone that he uh, he admitted himself to uh, to treatment, not for drugs, but because his depression he felt like was getting out of control. Oh. And then wow. he was talking more, and I've, I knew this about him before, but I hadn't listened to the show in a while. But like me, he's one of these uh, bipolar depression. I don't know if it was bipolar, but like my depression was only diagnosed after. I tried to get clean, right? Uh, and 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 then that period after you quit all the uh, the drugs and the booze, you know, your brain is out of balance, like without Absolutely. a doubt. And so, if I had even a little bit of bipolar before, a little bit of depression, now it was very pronounced. It caused me to continue to relapse because of my like it was one of those things. So mm-hmm. uh, they died the last time I got clean, which was the last, the final time. Um, that's when I went overboard on meetings, um, outpatient meetings that I had to go to, uh, therapy individual and the psychiatrist mm. at this facility prescribed me like four different medications. Um, and they prescribed me trazodone for sleep, Camprol for cravings, naltrexone for cravings. And, um, and I was taking Depakote for bipolar mm. and I was taking, Prozac. Okay. That's like more drugs than you were taking when you were doing drugs. It is. It is. But let me tell you, that's the final, that was the final time for me. Right. I mean, I am not 
perfect and I am long from perfect. And, you know, I'm not done like with my recovery. Right. Um, and, uh, I'm on the fence about whether or not that ever ends. I think, I think the drug recovery part does end Yes, and then it really moves into recovering your life. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's what we're doing now. We're we're trying to, we're trying to improve our quality of life. We're not like nitpicking, you know, little things. Um, we look at them when we do our ten step inventory, or if anybody does, where you look at what you did good, what you did bad, and uh, and then you know clear out your inventory. So um, that, as they say, is that. Um, so also, I hope Jed. Yes. Okay. I hope Jed is okay. Yeah. He is. He sounds really good. You know, he's a bounce backer. Good. He's in the industry. He know, he knows the, he's in the, the biz. talk. You know, <laughs> he's a great dude. Yeah. And um, all right, let's move on. Uh, did we want to talk about the your uh, Orthodox Jewish television watching? I thought that was a bit interesting. Yeah, I suppose we could. I mean, I um, I was over at Nats the other morning, jumping his car again. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, I kind of. I don't know. How did it come up? We were in your kitchen and then... Oh, yeah, we were hanging out and we were just talking about TV shows that we watched. TV shows. And I said, did you ever watch Stiesel? Stitzel? And you were like, uh, what? And I said, yeah, it's this story of this uh, Orthodox Jewish guy and his... You said it like everybody knows Schnitzel. But, but I thought... like, <laughs> well, I mean, You it was, don't know Schnitzel? It, it was pretty high up there on the Netflix thing, I thought. I mean, maybe it's just the recommendation that came to me. And then once I watched that, I got fed every, every Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish. Jewish show on Netflix. <laughs> Anyway, Schnitzel is a great show. If, if For those of you out there that are unfamiliar with the ways of, of um, Orthodox Hasid in, um, who happened to live in Jerusalem, yeah. <laughs> you might want to check this show out. It's, um, it's about a guy who feels himself pulled in a couple of different directions you know, right. from the old uh, traditions that are expected of him, but he's actually an artist. So, um, you know, he, he struggles with this, how much he can put into his art and how much he puts into his relationship with his father, who he has to care for now that his mother's passed away. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I didn't find it weird that I watched that at all. It was just kind of like, uh, it's kind of like any drama with, with um, universal human themes. It just ha- happens to be within that particular world of Orthodox Judaism. So. Right, and no, and I totally get that, and I can actually connect that to recovery. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm going to adjust my chair and listen to this one. So, a big thing in in AA or just recovery rooms in general is your ability to identify with another suffering person, and that's okay. it's very hard to like do. That. At first, um, a lot of people, you know, the young people coming in, it's their first time in recovery. They see a guy like me or you give their recovery story. And but then they look at you and go, I have nothing in common with that guy. Right. You know, he listened to heavy metal. I listen to jazz. You know, all of those things that are different. That's He's all black, superficial, though. So what when it really hit me that, man, we are all going through the same thing, essentially the same kind of sickness. Um and it's put very, very succinctly in, uh, in, the, in the big book at the very beginning when uh, Bill is saying that, you know, what brings us all together in AA, it's sort of like when a ship crashes and all of the passengers are in a lifeboat and 
and you have escaped the sinking ship, that that feeling, that camaraderie, where it's the ship's captain sitting next to the janitor, sitting next to the rich guy, sitting yeah. next to the guy who works in the, in the boiler room, but you all just escaped this sinking ship and that that's the feeling that's the camaraderie that bill wanted us to wanted to you know project to us that all of us sitting in these rooms or recovery in general like we're we have that same camaraderie yeah and you know everybody's sitting in the lifeboat getting along until the food runs out and then you have to eat somebody and then until you you figure out who that is until the latkes and whitefish salad (laughs) runs out and so but you know i think it's even bigger than that though it's not just like i I mean there are certain things that all human beings share you know this idea that we're you know we've got a good 70 or 80 years and then we are then we die you know everybody's in the same boat you know, nobody yeah, gets I mean, out of here alive. Sure, you can, you know? nobody, none of us gets out of here alive, my father. But, but what it. I found is it's a lot easier to identify with the suffering of others um, once I had removed sort of the veil of um, of alcohol or mm. substances that I could see my, I could, you know, what's the, what's the word namaste mean, right? Uh, or namaste. It's like, I, I, I see the divine light in you as you see it in me, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's realizing that we're all just spirit souls man on this journey together yeah and taking that to the next uh, logical conclusion um we are all fractals of the god consciousness you me within each one of us they're different shards of the same hologram right and once you learn to see not just yourself and every single person including your worst enemies including the people you despise the most mm-hmm. once once I came to like the epiphany that we are all just a fractal of the God consciousness. We are all almost pieces of God, incarnations of God that are experiencing the different things in the world that it created so that he can experience it too, or she or the the God being. So we really are all one. And the sooner I came to the conclusion that when I'm looking at you, I'm looking at me. Right. And that boils it down to do unto others. Of course. So it all boils down to that, that maxim. Right. Uh, Do unto others because as you would have do unto you because others are you. That's right. Right. So that's why one way I've been moving past a lot of the former, uh, I got in some political disagreements over this past couple of years with a few close friends and family. And what we're doing now is, I mean, we're not pretending like it didn't happen, but we are looking now because none of us wants to like get rid of the other person. Right. We love each other. We're family or we're friends. And so it's almost like we all came to this, not all of us, but me and, you know, the people in my life had said like, you know what, there's more that unites us than that divides us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and seeing past that. So I think that that's, that's going to be the unexpected consequence of this practical civil war that we just went through is now that it's gone, thank God, um, you know, we're seeing each other for the, not the differences so much, you know, uh, for what's similar. And that's, that's my hope more than anything. You know, recognizing the similarities in other people is kind of your basis for where you start conversations. Uh, yeah. It's, um, you know. Politics is bullshit. It's, you know. It is. Um, and we're doing pretty good here. 20 minutes. Are we? 
Um, Fantastic. Yeah. I wanted to talk about uh, many hobbies, not enough time. Yeah. Because I, you, you said that one week. And uh, a couple times, and I'm the same exact way. I'm like, I'm lurching from thing to thing. Like I've, I've recently reignited this passion I've had for photography. So I'm running around taking pictures of birds and seals and shit. You take amazing pictures, dude. Like my whole family was looking at that one you sent. I was like, called him like, did you see this? (laughs) And Christine was like, oh my God, I've never seen a blue jay like that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. We're big fans. It's like. Between that and, you know, the running and the scuba diving and the the podcasting and all this, it's like, I'm like, and yet when I'm at times when I'm not doing any of those things, I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah. So I feel like I need to fill up this space with stuff all the time. Why do I feel that way? How much of that is you don't drink anymore? I'm definitely doing way more of stuff than when I was drinking. Like, because I have time, because I'm not, I have a lot mental room in my head um, that I'm not using to think about alcohol right. and moderation and doing all those things and planning, drinking and everything. Right. Plus the fact that there is a lot more time because we're in the middle of a right. pandemic. But, um, so I don't know. Like I, I found myself even looking at like more hobbies, you know, like I was, I'm like, maybe I'm, I don't have enough. Like I was researching something yesterday and, and then I, I forget what it was, but I was like, you know what? I do not have time to, to, to do yep. that too. You wow. Know? And plus, you know, I'm a dad. I have kids and, and they the have, kids. you know. And um, your wife is like, were you doing anything? <laughs> or is everything right. the kids and all your hobbies? Yeah, I, exactly. I, you know? I'm going through that same exact thing. Because um, I think you and I are oh, a lot. Oh, the guitar was the other thing. I'm the thinking. guitar. Like I, I, I started playing right. the guitar because, you know, this is your fault because <laughs> Mike plays well, the guitar. you were playing the guitar long before I was. I was, uh, but I was pretty. something like that. But, <laughs> but I, was, uh, I was dormant. But I, I'm, the same thing is happening to me, and it's, I think, a danger. The way I see it is it's great. Like, I, I'm doing the same thing. Like, I'm hobby to hobby. You know, I'm reading uh, I'm reading, I'm yeah. reading a ton of books, um, like constantly working on the podcast and the stuff with the kids and my store, you know, I'm actively like doing that on top of that. I have a couple of side businesses that mm. I'm, you know, working on. I'm doing some marketing consulting, uh, that I'm picking up a little bit more of and, you know, and my guitar, I started playing that again. And I'm like, I, you know, it's this attention deficit disorder type of thing that I'm dealing with. Uh, so I think, what my resolution to this is going to be is, all right, pick a few things to concentrate on for the next month. And that's basically what right. I do. I will get super into something for like two months mm-hmm. and then I'll do something else. So that's, that's how I'm kind of See, managing I don't know. it. Like I, I'll work on my movie script next month. Yeah. But I, like, I'm like that too, to a lesser degree, I think, but, um, but I'm trying to go deeper instead of broader. You know what I mean? So like yeah, picking yeah. the things that are important, but the problem is like, I like all of the things. Right. So like I'm not <laughs> magic sure tricks. which ones to like. I like, I know, love exercise. card tricks yeah. and I, that's one of my little hobbies and I pick that up. So anytime I'm not, you know, doing one of my other things, I'm doing little card maneuvers and trying to, right. you know, it's like a fidget type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but you know what though? Like this is way better than like just sitting around drinking all the time, you know, like I'd rather be too busy with this stuff than not busy enough. It's just maintaining that balance 
Yeah. You know, that's, that's the hard part. Keeping you know? the balance. Yeah. Maybe that's something we will dive uh, into a little more in another show. I think that that's, I think a lot of people in recovery who are parents are probably in, you know, cause if you're a parent of young children, you know, you have to be alpha. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you know, you have your partner helping, but for me anyway, I had to be, I had to be on to be the dad I want to be. Right. Um, and so that takes up a lot of my time, you know, but that I love, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot. Um, so yeah, balance and maybe, maybe, uh, we could do a show on, you know, a way that we can help manage our hobbies and organize ourselves. I could really, I could really use that. So yeah, I wrote here too many hobbies, Jack of all trades, master of fun. Right. But it's fun. Yeah. I do like taking pictures of animals. <laughs> yeah, I love taking it. Um, but now is a great time to move on to our main topic. Did we have a main topic? No, you you <laughs> wrote on the on the uh, on the outline. You said like um, Nat, what's our main topic? Put something here. Is it <laughs> you wrote? Is it the, the heroin use guy? Right. Um, so yeah, and what I did was uh, I read Doctor Carl Hart's. Much anticipated and reviled book. I certainly reviled drug use for <laughs> grownups. Yeah, um, I had to read this book. I had to because um, I hold myself out there as open-minded. Okay, the show is supposed to be open-minded. We're supposed to talk about you know all views uh, about recovery and um, drug use and criminal and stuff like that. So. I just felt like if I didn't give this the, its due, because so many people are just like, including you, were like, oh, drug use for grownups, that's so irresponsible, and you got all like bent out of shape, and I'm like, I haven't read it yet. The title sounds like horrible to me, but, uh, you know, I, the guy is a scientist, he's, he's been working in addiction and recovery for a long time, he's a professor at Columbia University, he's a neuroscientist biologist or something or something it's biologist it's a neuroscientist i can't remember which one should we explain to the people what what his thing is all about well yes and the way i'm gonna do that because i full disclosure i have not read this book because maybe because i'm taking too many pictures of seals or something but nor do i feel like i particularly need to read it but um well what i learned is that i'll just give you my brief to give you the, the overview that i took away from it okay and it's hard for me because it's, I have so many, it's a complicated thought that I have about this book. Now, first off, the title is completely misleading and disingenuous. It was definitely just done to get people to talk about it because Mm -hmm. it's not drug use for grownups. It's not like a how to, I thought I was going to get a how to guide (laughs) on where to get the good stuff, how to put it in your body, how to hide it and pay for it. Um, Whoever wrote that book would make a fortune. Yes. But this isn't that book. What this turns out to be is actually a quite poignant um, discussion or, you know, um, book about uh, racial justice with, uh, in, you know, addiction and basically how uh, the war on drugs is, you know, really just a war on people of color and uh, poor people. Uh, and, and he's not wrong about that. I just like mm. what he is wrong about is what I think is wrong, but I can't even say he's wrong because it's him. How can I tell him he's not using, you know, heroin like, like an adult? If he says it, I don't know him. But He's setting I, a great example for his children. You know, um, basically what he says is that um, 
before I read some of these articles that I got on it, what he says is that like, you know, drug use is not the problem. In fact, it's drugs are great. Drugs are good. They make you feel good. They make me feel good. You know, the fact that they are illegal is strictly a money grab racist thing. And it's only done to subjugate us and to keep us, you know, in jails and stuff like that. Mm. And that it's actually really good. And not only that, but he also says that most people who use drugs are, we don't hear about. Most people who use drugs are just doing it casually. Their lives are fine. How does he know that? Well, he, anecdotal evidence and. Oh, that's worth something. So, so here's the problem with his assertion. Uh, and I will stop talking in a second. <laughs> here's his problem. It's like he's got, well, he did studies to prove his theory. And what really went on is he, he did some very controlled uh, setting uh, drug testing studies because he can get, he's the scientist, he gets the, the pure stuff from the government. That's where he gets his heroin from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a research scientist. And so he's just researching it himself after work. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And what he's what saying a, is... What, what a scam. I got, I got to give it to this guy. He says that, um, that basically all, when he, what he sees in the lab... It's all positive results. And as a scientist, <laughs> yes, I'm telling you, okay. as a scientist, he was he was not using at the time. And he said, after seeing all of this great data, he's like, I got to try this. And he goes over that toward the end of the book. It says at the very end, he actually talks about his own using. The rest of it is criminal justice reform and racial justice and the misperceptions of drugs and why the government, you know, made marijuana illegal in the first place. And it's a lot of that stuff, which is all true. And I agree with it all. Yes. What I don't agree with is that um, the the results he got in like in a very limited study, even if it was a couple of limited studies, still don't even remotely approximate what we're getting on the street, what the people are actually doing, what really happens to their lives. Yeah. And, you know, maybe everything I have is anecdotal too, because it's my life. It's people I know who died. It's people I know who lost everything. And um, I just, it's very, it seems very naive of him to actually you know, buy what he's selling right now because it, it just does not add up to me. Well, Dr. Hart's getting high on his own supply, which you should, is one thing you should never do. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's not incorrect about the effects of the drug war um, and and the fact that um, marijuana was originally uh, criminalized because of the fear that uh, black people were getting with white uh, women yeah, and, uh, you know, all, it's that whole, all whole business. And then, all true. and then Nixon in the 70s, you know, when he started the War on drug, uh, war on drugs, and developed the DEA. Um, his stated reason for that was, um, you know, because of what was going on in the black communities and mm-hmm. stuff, and and it was a it was a deliberately targeted attempt to suppress black votes and stuff. But yeah. you know, so you can agree with all of that, with all of that structural framework and all of that analysis, and maybe some people out there don't agree with that. I don't know. It, it seems pretty clear to me from the statistics. I, I was a sociology major and I studied this mm-hmm. stuff to some degree in college, but, but not a neurobiologist. I'm not a neurobiologist, oh. but then again, I, I also don't come home from work and do do heroin to relax in front of my kids. So well, there's that, um, but you can you can accept all that framework, mm-hmm. right? But reject Dr. Hart's uh, conclusion that you know maybe we should all just sit around and and you know well, do whatever we feel like it. Which you know, well, okay, uh, 
you know, I, I guess if your social responsibility ends, begins and ends at your front door. Mm. Um, so really, Dr. Hart is like a libertarian at heart, isn't he? Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Yes, yes, yes. It's I mean, very libertarian. It's Second Amendment rights. I was surprised to see he, or maybe not surprised, um, that he's an avid Second Amendment activist. That's It's not surprising. It squares with his overall yes. view. Um you know, There's I, nothing I have, wrong with that. No, there isn't. I, I love you the know, Second Amendment. I, I just took my son shooting last weekend. I probably should have talked about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you took this, your son shooting. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Second Amendment, great. But uh, um, like you shouldn't get in the way of his pursuit of happiness. Like who is the government to stop him or you or anybody from feeling good? Well, you know, my feeling about legalization of drugs, right? I, I think legalization of marijuana is fine. It's, it's relatively harmless drug for most people. I, and I think that's, there is science on that. I, I, I'm a little less convinced by the idea that there's some science behind the fact that, that harder drugs like heroin and cocaine should be legal and readily available. Now, you, we were talking about this the other day, and Dr. Hart said something along the lines of, you know, well, we should set up these places or clinics where people can go get, you know, nice, clean Needle drugs and sit, yeah. sit around and, and do them in these rooms. And I'm thinking, like, boy, doesn't that sound like fun? Let's go out on Friday night to the clinic, get ourselves some some lists, some some government-sanctioned drugs and sit in a little room and, and get high. And I'm yeah. like, does that sound like fun to you? No. No, but it sounds, it sounds like like something that you need to do. So I have to think back on when I was in at my bottom for. I'm sorry, yeah, we're not ahead. talking about harm reduction here, right? He's he's advocate. This is a recreational thing. This is like something you should be able to do for yes, fun, yes. right? He okay. points to like Amsterdam, and there's a, I forget what the Amsterdam's other Amsterdam's a mess. So, but this is his <laughs> point, right? And. I also agree that if we lived in this magical parallel universe where the government regulates and gives and sells safe narcotics and it's completely accepted by society and everybody has enough money to do as much of it as they want, like under those bizarre circumstances that will never happen, would it be possible for a responsible adult to do heroin once every two weeks? <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's I don't what know. I'm like. Yeah, sure, okay. If like I have a pair, I have a shirt just like that, except it's blue and it's a pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. The yeah. world that it's just I don't believe it exists. Um, I welcome uh, his or I, I I accept his right to say something like that. Um, this guy has kids. He has children, and he he he's very responsible. Is he? That's what he says. Okay. Well, and he's so, married, and his wife is fine with whatever he's doing. He's meeting his responsibilities. So every day after work, instead of like having a cocktail, he sits down and has a little heroin. Apparently, and he can just you know then play catch with his kids and all that stuff, right? Uh, no. That's what he says. Uh, I mean, okay. all it is is, Plus, is you know, his story. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the guy. Um, I mean, maybe I'm just stuck in an old mode of thinking, but but here, I'm thinking, you know, do I want my children at the end of the day to see me sitting in the living room nodding out? So what he would say is that's it's no different from someone drinking scotch and nodding and falling asleep. And I'm not necessarily yeah, disagreeing I, with I, that. I don't disagree with that, but is the answer to have more of that in society or, or less of it? He would say more because more and, and um, legalized because it takes away 
all of the other societal problems that go along with it, like jailing too many people just for possession, like uh, since it's illegal, you have to buy stuff on the street. And that's why we have fentanyl. That's the only reason we have fentanyl. It's because, you know, heroin supply dried up. The CIA well, bought all of it and sold it to Nicaragua or something. Well, I mean, I don't know. I would argue that the way to, that d- decreasing drug use is probably a good social goal. Because why do people use drugs? Well, to um, feel good. He to, would say. To, right. To feel good or to escape from their miserable day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how about working on economic issues, raising the level of, um, standard, uh, of, living. of standard of living for, for larger groups of people so that they don't feel that they need to check out at the end of the day? Why not put the resources into that? I love that, Mike. I love, okay, I did not think of that, but it's 100% true. Better to put our, our resources towards making these people, uh, the people who suffer from addiction, um, happy in their lives so they're not living this day-to-day nightmare where you know they need a kind of heavy relief and yeah absolutely education you know all of that stuff but even after all of that uh dr hart would argue that people are still going to want to do drugs so what do we do about those people and why don't we have a regulated supply where they can do it safely and you know they're not robbing you know like all of that stuff um that's why it's a complicated issue you know his thesis is not strong and defended it that's what's wrong with this book the title is misleading and then it's a book about the history of you know racism and uh, and his experience with, uh, with recreational drug users. He, a lot of anecdotes. That I, I met this guy, and he kept a job and did heroin every couple of days. Yeah. So there's stuff like that. that in that's it. not science, though. So, But the science he does offer uh-huh. is just like what I said. It's a small group, and he's got 20 people. Some are taking the placebo, and they're doing you know pure co- cocaine. And then he takes intelligence tests, and he says they all... And he says this like it's, you know, it, it solves, you know, the riddle. He's like, and they didn't like lose any cognitive ability on the test a half an hour after, you know, taking this cocaine. I'm imagine, like, imagine having to sit there and listen to the guys on Coke talk for hours on end <laughs> and then do like <laughs> do research on it. They do that on Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. You got to watch that on yeah. Amazon. He studies like the drug, everything. He's a scientist. He doesn't do the drugs, but he goes to places like that. He's interviewing the people making the meth. And while there, he's interviewing, he's totally straight laced. You know, he's just looking at them and they're like methed out trying right. to like answer his questions. It's right. really funny. I mean, just <clears throat> one, one further thought that yeah. just jumped into my head is, you know, we've, we talked a lot about Annie Grace, um, you know, this naked mind and the idea that big alcohol has um, basically normalized uh, the act of drinking to relax and all this kind of thing. But I mean, isn't what, what Hart's doing here is just sort of uh, advocating for the normalization of um, taking additional substances, like just expanding that because we live in a capitalist society, yeah. right? So, so if you get these companies, you give them full range to start marketing these drugs, all of a sudden you're going to be seeing ads for, uh, you know, opium at the halftime at the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, and 10 so years from now. And, and Carl Hart would say, what's so bad about that? Well, Alcohol is incredibly destructive to society. Right. You know, think of all the... Yeah, alcohol. Know. What about, you know, heroin uh, <laughs> heroin commercials? Maybe if some people took opium instead of drank, you know, we would have um, more grunge music. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just I just think that the, the society is pretty screwed up as it is. And the last thing we need to do is add more problems. I agree that drugs should be decriminalized. I agree that... 
Um, maybe certain drugs should be legalized, yeah. but uh, I don't know. That is a Pandora's box. But yeah, and, and, and alcohol is yep. the is the alcohol is the thing is the thing that is legal, and you can see what it's what it's done to society, and you can look at it, and you mm-hmm. can think, do we really want more of that? Right. And, you know, I read this really good article on NPR about this book, and uh, the article is called um, Drug Use for Grownups Serves as an Argument for Personal Choice by Nicholas Canariadio, something. Uh, and he says in his article, Hart argues, citing much evidence, that it's a pre-existing kind of personal, personal vulnerability addiction, psychological and or circumstantial, that precedes the drugs themselves that can lead to addiction. He asserts that, quote, the evidence tells us that we must look beyond the drug itself when trying to help people with drug addiction. In fact, regarding the relatively small percentage of individuals who do become addicted, co-occurring psychiatric disorders such as and an excessive anxiety, depression, and schizophrenia, and socioeconomic factors such as resource-deprived communities and un- and underemployment account for a substantial portion of those addictions. Right. So what are you going to do about that? If you don't fix those underlying problems and you just add more drugs into the mix, you're going to have more people doing drugs. And then he would say and that... Not, and, and in a pathological way, not like in a, hi, honey, I'm home, can you pass right. me the syringe? Yeah, like, I mean, th- and this is why this is a... I mean, fuck this guy. Honestly, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm not... You finally lost your composure. <laughs> I'm just, I just, I don't... So I have strong libertarian tendencies, but right. there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between um, decriminalizing and, and advocating for. Yeah, I'm so. more libertarian curious than I am like a... Left-wing. I'm just sort of a lefty with guns, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so, listen, guys, I recommend that, I don't know, I feel like if, if you're feeling the same way Mike is, I say read the book, uh, just like I did. You know what? I'm going to read the book. It's going to annoy me, but I'm going to do it. Because here's why. I don't think you can take a stance at all on a man's work until you have read it. Because mm. everything right now is just hearsay. You don't know what the words actually I were. didn't read The Art of the Deal, but it, my feelings I, about Donald Trump, I'm I saying, didn't need to. For me, Sorry, I, didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I could make an informed uh, opinion on this until I read it. And so Are my, you saying my, I, my opinion is uninformed and therefore worth less? Yes, that's pretty okay. much what I'm saying. I will so. read the book. Good. And then we can have this discussion again. Um, we're going to put the link to buy this book uh, on Amazon. It helps us if you buy it through the link that we provide. So if you could please do that, it'll be through Amazon. Um, and I think for this week, well, we can can it there. Unless you had anything else uh, you wanted to mention about the book. No, that's... Right. Since I didn't read it, I don't have much else to say. <laughs> there you go. So that, as they say... Is that now uh, we've been hearing from some of uh, actually some of my friends um, that we don't we haven't been doing enough stories hmm. like because, you know, it's, this is not a show about war stories, but it is part of our experience and they're fun. And um, I like to remember stuff sometimes and sometimes I get PTSD and I shake and you know <laughs> sob, but. When I'm not doing that, sometimes it's nice to go back in memory lane and uh, think about that. So, our brand new segment, we're going to need music for this, Story Time. Okay. Mm. 
I'll, I'll, I'll try and stick And then we'll put in It's Raining Men. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. So tell me about this story. What happened? What story? Your story. Which one? Oh, that time I got punched in the oh, face okay, by stop, a guy. Stop, stop, So back in the 80s, you know, I used to buy a lot of crack in the Bronx. Uh, right. Who didn't? If you were living in the Bronx, you were probably doing crack or knew somebody that was selling crack or something. Anyway. Uh, but again, I was, you know, it's me and my little platoon of, of um, suburban white white boys wandering around in the Bronx pretending like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> so I remember this one particular day when uh, we went up to Decatur Avenue and Marion Avenue and it was dry. There wasn't a guy out for love or money. And my friend and I looked at each other and we realized, oh, shit, that means we got to go up to the bathgate. And that was, you just didn't want to go up to the bathgate because you never knew what happened. But we'd been up there enough that we knew a couple of the dealers on that one particular corner of like 194th Street and Bathgate. And um, this one guy we used to call wheelchair because he was in a wheelchair. Oh, that was and, clever. Yeah. Clever name. Well, my street name was Glasses because <laughs> you I wore glasses? glasses, right? So, um, but wheelchair had, um, had a guy with him, uh, like an enforcer. That would just kind of wheel him around, and he was like the, he was like the dealer in charge of that of that particular corner of turf in the Bronx. Uh, not a particularly pleasant fellow. Um, some of the other guys, uh, you know, in our regular block, you know, they knew us, and we could joke around, and we'd even have a beer with them every once in a while. Mm. Um, but not not wheelchair. So you go up and you. The, the other reason you didn't want to go up there is because, well, on Marion Avenue, you, you could get like ten dollar vials. Um, uh, on Bathgate, you could only get $5 ones. And I don't know if you've ever seen a crack file, but you can see through them. You can see like the little yeah. rocks or cement or whatever you're buying. We've had a couple in, in, the, little, in the little vials. But, um, <laughs> but what, what they did on this corner and it, it irritated me to no end is they would encase each crack file in a little opaque, um, like a little opaque burlap sack, like a tiny little mini. It wasn't like a. Um, it looks like something from Etsy. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a um, like a little baggie that you right. could open and look inside. Like you had to like tear it with your teeth to open it to see it inside. So weird. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't know what you were buying, right? You didn't know how what the count looked like or what what was like in there. So I, I remember, uh, and this was a new thing because we used and we always knew their counts were. Sketchy, and you know they were skimming off the top and stuff, but whatever. It's the cost of doing business up, you know, when you're buying drugs on the street, right? I mean, you just got to make allowances for that sort of thing. If you could have gotten it at a drive-through, you wouldn't have had these. Yeah, uh, yes, right, exactly. Um, but I had no business doing drugs in the first place at that. Anyway, um, so I don't think we had a lot of money. My recollection in this particular day is I think we only had ten dollars. Mm-hmm. So I got two two bottles uh, off this guy. And um, tear open the first one, walking away down the street. I tear open the first one. I look at the thing. It's this measly little fucking rock in there. Like oh, It's just a sad little lonely rock. That's that the worst. Wouldn't even like, you know, and I'm like, I'm thinking if the other one is like this, it's like, this is going to be a this is gonna short suck. <laughs> we're going to have like 20 night. minutes, you know, 20 minutes, 20 seconds of being really high. And then we're going to have to go uh, rob somebody yeah. or something. So, um... So I turn around and I go back and I go, excuse me, Mr. Wheelchair, but this is bullshit. And uh, can you just, me, Mr. can you give us our money back? Cause we just want to buy drugs from somebody else. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it like that, but it was, that's essentially he was receptive. To right. that idea, so he just looks at the, at the enforcer guy next to him and um, hands the enforcer guy the, the bag, the paper bag of crack that he had in his lap. 
hands it to the guy, gets up out of the wheelchair, and I'm just standing there looking at him because I didn't think he could even walk. <laughs> and he hauls back and punches me right in the face, right in the middle of the street. And my glasses go flying. And I, I start bleeding out of my eye. And I'm like, whoa. And so... Um, so uh, I just kind of back up and, uh, you know, I hold out the, I hold out, I had another $10 bill in my hand for some reason. Now I'm trying to remember why. And he just took the money out of my hand and sat back down in the wheelchair. And I was like, motherfucker, this, that, you know. So we just sort of beat a hasty retreat back to, um, you know, an alley or something where we could, uh, we could smoke what we bought. But uh, that was the only time, I mean, I, I, I've been stabbed once or twice, but not deeply. But that was the only time anybody ever like punched me in the face. I think in my whole life, and it was that that crack dealer who may or may not have been a paraplegic. That <laughs> I have no idea. I, I that is a great story. I've yeah. never I'm trying to think if I had any uh, any violence like that. That's that's pretty scary. And how old are you? Uh, eighteen, nineteen, yeah. maybe. Well, listen, if you could have gotten I mean, you didn't it shoot locally. me, thank God. You know, <laughs> See, think of all the crime that would have been stopped well, if you that, could just pick it up at 7-Eleven. But that was locally for me at the time, <laughs> right? I mean, that was my local uh, a local place to buy, buy drugs. It's regulated. You'd know if I give you 20 bucks, you know exactly how much you're getting. You don't deal with um, a fake paraplegic with a bodyguard. You just, it's true. 7-Eleven. But honestly, like, getting you know, it. part of the... But there's a certain charm to... To going into the neighborhood and buying it, you never know what you're going to get. It's a it's little sketchy experience. It's, the experience. Exactly. it's sort of like I like to, you know, go to the mall. You know, it's old fashioned, but just to walk around right. and touch and feel everything. That's the same thing. I mean, with yeah, the South Bronx Drug was town. like like a, it was like the Disney World of crack. <laughs> it's uh, a small world after all. It's a small, <laughs> small world. Um, great story. Do you want to tell another one or no? We got to move. Yeah, let's move along. Okay, so. Having uh, having said that, we have for you recovery in the news. Did you miss that theme song the week we were off? I bet you did. I meant you, Nat, not the not the listener. So this week we have a um, article from the Independent, which I believe is a British publication, uh, as the story that I'm about to discuss took place in. Britain, or this study. Anyway, the title of the article is uh, Taking MDMA Could Help to Treat Alcoholism, Study Suggests. Um, so, over in Bristol, which I assume is in the UK, um, 14 people with alcohol problems, and they didn't define exactly what that is, were given a controlled amount of the party drug, also known as ecstasy, during two psychotherapy sessions. Psychological support was provided before, during, and after each session. And their alcohol use behavior, mental well-being, and functioning data were collected for nine months after the study. Uh, and the study that was published recently in the Journal of Psychopharmacology, if any of you have not gotten your latest issue, uh, found that participants on average consumed 18.7 units of alcohol per week in the months after the trial compared to 130.6 units before. Wow. 130 units a week is many, many units. That is. That's like a mega unit. I definitely drank that much with my worst for sure. 130 drinks a week. Wow. Um, Easy. So the authors of the study believe that patients with alcohol use disorder usually have a past history of psychological trauma and have become dependent on alcohol as a form of self-medication. That's straight out of Dr. Mate's uh, 
yeah. Mate's idea or the, the thinking that, you know, people who suffer from addiction trauma have some sort of, or ha- addiction have some sort of trauma lurking around in their background. Sure. Um, and what supports that theory is that, um, um, that the MDMA manages to suppress a region in the brain known as the amygdala, which gives patients improved ability to process negative memories, mm. which is how that all works. So, um, so the researchers concluded the study demonstrates MDMA-assisted psychotherapy can be safely delivered, is well-tolerated, and has the potential to enhance and intensify the psychotherapeutic process in treatments of patients with alcohol use disorder. So what do you think about that? Uh, listen, we, we were talking about this a few shows ago, the microdosing thing. There, mm-hmm. there is a revolution right now in, in addiction medicine research. Uh, I learned a lot about it from Miss um, Meg on the Addictionary Podcast, which is right no longer uh, active, but you could still, she has a lot of great videos and stuff like that. Um, it's the Addictionary Podcast. And she's kind of, uh, she is a, a researcher mm-hmm. in that field. Um, she, she's a clinician, I think, and she also... Uh, whatever degree she was getting involved in research. So her shows, she would talk about that, have guests on people who are like breaking, you know, new ground on ketamine for PTSD and MDMA is another uh, drug that is starting to be finally explored again as far as medicinal purposes. I think, I, I like this. I think anything that can help people drink less, that's a controlled you know, doctor relationship scenario, mm-hmm. I think is worth at least trying or testing out. Yeah. I, I would point out that the other thing that I was encouraged by reading this is that um, the, the study was considered a success, even though people were not abstinent, that they were, they had just reduced their drinking to 18 units a week from 130. That was still considered a successful result. Yeah. And so you, you, you get know. the same, the same numbers you get from Vivitrol, which is also an naltrexone mm-hmm. for people. It was originally developed, uh, as we've talked about before for alcohol use disorder. And I've used it with success. It helped me get, get my cravings away. I, uh, I never did a lot of ecstasy. I, I remember one time at a dead show in, in Hampton, Virginia, I took a, a couple hits of acid and then some hippie, uh, with a beard and a dress, poured a bunch of white powder in my hand, told me it was ecstasy and told me to eat it. How come that never happens to me? (laughs) And I did. And And you did. And I did eat it. And I don't know what it was, but I I had the weird experience about an hour later standing on the floor while Jerry was melting my mind with the first dark star since uh, 1983. Um that my head was hovering above the rest of my body and sort of slowly <laughs> rotating. So I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was, it was great. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So could that work for reducing alcohol intake? Yes. Yeah, if sure. done properly. Yeah. I think he could. Uh, um, all right. So that is cut. Recovery in the news. Recovery. It is recovery in the news. And that brings us to this week in weird. The Perseverance rover successfully lands on Mars. To the relief of scientists at NASA and the delight of space enthusiasts around the world, the space agency's Perseverance rover has successfully touched down on Mars. The craft's seven-month-long journey to the Red Planet, which began back in July when it left Earth, culminated this afternoon with a harrowing landing sequence dubbed the, quote, seven minutes of terror due to the complexity of the maneuver and NASA's inability to communicate 
with the rover during the process. Fortunately, the white knuckle moment came and went without any major issues, sparking celebration from the Perseverance team at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Having arrived on Mars, the rover will now begin what should be an enlightening two-year-long mission exploring the Jezaro Crater, looking for signs that life may have existed on the red planet in the distant past. This is so exciting. It's very exciting. I love um, this stuff. I hope they I go investigate the, the face and the pyramid and all that other stuff. There, There's a lot of stuff on Mars that looks very man-made from at least a telescope view, grids and structures. There's definitely ancient life on Mars. I'm gonna, I'm going on the record right now, hundred percent. There's even not only gonna be ancient life like fossils. They're finding ruins, like guaranteed. You think? There's a pyramid near Sidonia. Uh, Google the pyramid on Mars. It's right next to Sidonia, which is where the face is. The face is oh. in an area called Sidonia. Oh. Next to Sidonia, so that was in Arizona. <laughs> it's sort of the same thing. That's Sedona. But yeah, the same um, kind of people. But listen, um, man, just the fact that, that NASA is even saying they're looking for distant life, for mm. any kind of life, is amazing. Like, well, I mean, I think the rovers, you, it's funny, you think about it, like, you would think, well, wh- they've sent so many rovers, how come they haven't found life by now? But a rover is about the size of the table we're yeah. doing this podcast on, and Mars is about the size of... And there's Earth. water. There's water on Mars. The, NASA says they found water. It's at the poles. You can see um, them. It's like ice caps. Listen, where there's water, there's life. Um, not only that, but um, scientists have discovered that there is a residue uh, all over Mars. That could, I forget what the name can of the chemical is. Probably, <laughs> but this residue can only be created from a uh, the fallout of a nuclear blast. What? Uh, it's like I don't know about that. It's called dude. xenon, like ten fifteen. I will look it up and send it to you. But this is true, guys. Um, there is evidence that there's been a uh, nuclear blast on Mars. So that's my crazy opinion on this amazing story. Do you, do you know why they think that there's? So there's this Fermi's paradox. You've heard of this? Yeah, but I don't remember what it means. So it, it basically is like if, if the universe was, if the galaxy was teeming with life, why haven't we encountered it by now? So mm. the, the thinking is that I think we, have. we are alone in the universe. And one of the reasons to explain Fermi's paradox is the thinking that once every civilization reaches the nuclear age, it destroys itself. Mm. And that's why there may in fact have been life throughout the galaxy, but it may have just destroyed itself once it, Re, um, attain the ability to do so. And yeah. we just haven't destroyed ourselves yet. What yeah, that could that? be true. Well, what I think is there's too much evidence to the contrary that we have been visited, that we, all of no. that stuff, there is more evidence, like with the amount of evidence that we, we have to prove that not only have we been visited, but there have been ancient civilizations that lived on this planet long before we even think no. that human beings, uh, Gobekli, Your standard of evidence is, is slightly hello. different. What is, do you know what Gobekli Tepe is? That ancient site they found in Turkey that they've dated it to 15,000 years. No. And it has carvings on it, and it's like clearly there was a civilization there that could do that. So hmm. our our knowledge on ancient human life is not correct. And part of that is because the crust uh, crustal movements on the earth, you know, the continents uh, moving around because of the surface, and it, it subducts, and, it, you know, the subduction, and the <laughs> oceans, and all of that. So know. I'm a bit of a crust skeptic. Of, okay, well, I will send you the proper crazy news. Not that I'm in the business of... Uh, promoting other podcasts, but if you listen to Elon Musk's 
most recent appearance on Joe Rogan, they have a long talk about this. And Rogan is a, is a big proponent of, uh, of the fact that we've been visited by aliens, but Musk is a bit more um, uh, skeptical. Yeah, except that Musk is the one actually sending spaceships around to find it. <laughs> he is. <laughs> or mine the helium-3 on the moon. That's so if, really anyone would, if anyone's opinion I would value, it would be his. Right. So okay. Right, here we Weak and weird. We could just Thank do you. this all day. Well, that about does it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us and, um, you know, the dark week. Uh, we missed you guys. We missed you a lot. I missed uh, Mike, even though he was still jumping my car in the morning. I saw you like every day. And that is not a euphemism. <laughs> um, so join the discussion on our exclusive Facebook private group. We are on there. Um, we have about 300 members there. It's a place where you can talk to us. You can talk to other members and get support for um, for anything you're going through. Or if you're just looking for other people who like the show, then we can all like uh, hang out together. Um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Tweet us at twat, you twit. Apple Podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are sold, five star reviews will be read on the air. Uh, and thank you guys for the, for the reviews we have gotten and we will get back to whomever writes to us. And that is it. We My will see you, you next time. Start as we say, heavily. sorry, <laughs> non proficiat perfectum progress, not perfection. See you next week. Be good kids. <laughs> <laughs>